Okay, good. Hi, everyone. I'm Hi. Dan. I'm Carrie. I'm Patrick. I'm Grandpa. I'm the other Carrie. I'm Sam. And <laughs> Finley's going to be a good boy and be quiet today. Well, you hope. Well, he'll be all right. All right. <laughs> and welcome to the 1971 Academy Awards. This is If I Ran the Oscars, where we take a look at one movie from each year the awards were on TV. Take a look at what it won for, as well as three other categories at random, so we get a wide appreciation for filmmaking. That's right. And uh, in Brave Defiance of Last Movie, which was a uh, French film about Greece, this is an American film about America. Well, or Europe, or yeah. Go uh, America. This uh, time we watched Patton, which is a pretty good movie as far as movies are concerned if you believe the awards shows, because it won Best Picture. Mm-hmm. For lots of different and reasons. And Best Director. And? And Best Actor. Were there other things that yes. it was nominated for? Yes. Uh, it was nominated for... It won seven awards. <laughs> wow. But, you know, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor is kind of the... There was really not a best actress in this film. There was not really a female speaking part in this film. There was, there was that. There was that lady with the Abbey Dog. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's I think it. she was. That was it. Other than that, like there were ladies who were cheering. Yeah, that, and there were ladies playing instruments, but or nurses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So this film is about actual human man General Patton, mm-hmm. who actually was human man in World War Two, and right. this is about kind of the latter half of the war once the America was kind of involved. Well, sure. Uh, Oddly enough, uh, this movie did not win for Best Special Effects, despite the quite intense explosions going on. Mm. Yeah, and extensive. Yes. It was nominated. What what movie won for that? Torah, Torah, Torah. Whoa. (laughs) Even more explosions. The the other war movie. Yeah, Yeah, but it was over the water. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh. That kind of makes sense. Yeah. So... Front and center on this one is George C. Scott, who, once again, we lament a random number generation that we did not watch Doctor Strange Love. Okay. Because he was definitely in that one. Uh-huh. Uh, he's also well known for being Scrooge in the TV film A Christmas Carol in 1984. Hmm. I remember that. He was in films basically up until he died in 99. Wow. Uh, he, I can't think of anything else that's like huge that we know him from this is kind of his this big is one. what he's known for this is his big one i can't either i've wrecked my brain but it certainly was popular yeah <clears throat> now i'm all about that academy award trivia well go right ahead this one's important he is the first actor to refuse his award really i do remember that he did not know this he warned the Academy months in advance that he would do so on the philosophical grounds of it being just like a glorified, you know, circle jerk contest and not really having the merit that he thinks it should have. Hmm. He believed that every dramatic performance was unique and could not be compared to others. Huh. And when he was selected, he did not get up and accept his award. The director did, the producer did, for, on his behalf. And then when they basically tried to give him the award, he sent it back. Wow. Man of his word. Yep. So, that's a thing. That is a thing. Uh, the other, uh, there's, the only other interesting Academy Award fact from this year is three Oscar nominations for the documentary Woodstock, 
making it the most nominated documentary in history. Huh. Probably for the music. <laughs> well, I, it was also at the right political time. Yeah. Uh, Sir also appearing in this film, who we have talked about before, Carl Malden. Mm-hmm. Carl Malden. Do you remember mm-hmm. which thing we've talked about him before? I can't remember. I remember, he was in something, but what was it? He played a priest. <gasps> That's right. In? In that movie that was uh, uh, with that guy and that woman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> see? See, I remember that film. No, wait, it was at a beach? On the waterfront. Uh, That's the, the waterfront. one. <laughs> there was not a beach okay. in that one at all. It was Boston. <laughs> On the waterfront was yeah, it was not a beach. That oh, was, the, you're was thinking that of from one? here to eternity. I was thinking from here to eternity. <laughs> oh, see, I didn't remember. Yeah, nope. but <laughs> Papa's shaking his head. Uh, yeah, I didn't remember. Yeah. Well, I you want, were, you weren't I here. Were you? Not here, but yeah. I. Oh, I think I mean, that's I, before you were I've our seen roommate. Seen on the waterfront yeah. a couple of times, but I, I just don't remember. Yeah. That was one of the first ones we watched for the podcast before mm-hmm. you were here, and that was, I think, the first one that we said this is a very good movie. Whereas the first two were okay. Right. It, they were interesting for reasons, but they yeah. weren't the kind of films that you think, ooh, we maybe want to yeah. watch that again. Those who have those who don't remember it or haven't seen it, that's the movie where. I uh, Marlon Brando, Brando could have been a contender where that line comes from. Mm. Yeah. Uh other than that there's not like the the people in this movie are not high profile. Not really. No, they were selected for what they looked like or what they sounded like. Yeah. One of the guys is a a famous guard in a clockwork orange, which I guess is yeah, a thing. Well, is, Michael well, Bates. But they're not Who was the director again in this movie? The director is Franklin Schaffner, who is who won for best director for this, mm-hmm. and is also known for Planet of the Apes, I mm-hmm. uh, and Boys from Brazil, which I don't that know. Beyond, I think was his, wasn't it? Maybe I'm not seeing that one on right here. My mixing up my people. Maybe no, it's in there. Yeah, that was seventy three. Gotcha. There it is. Yeah, but the real interesting ones to talk about is the producer and the guy that did the music. Partially because we are talking about the, uh, the sound recording and the song. The song, there isn't a song for this one, but we should talk about the score because it's important. Yes. First, the producer, Frank McCarthy. I don't know who that is. Secretary of the General Staff of the U.S. Department of War during World War II. Briefly, the Assistant Secretary of State. Hmm. And basically, right after Patton died, uh-huh. he started campaigning to make a movie about him. Mm. Huh. And so he, I mean, producer, so he's a financial backer. Yep. Well, that's interesting. So his, Patton's widow resisted making having the movie made. The day after she was buried in 1953, they started contacting the rest of the family. To get permission? To get permission. They did not get all of it. Like, they don't have, a, they, they made this without access to his diaries. With what? They made the film without access to Patton's diaries. Oh, I see. Which would have given them much more insight. Yeah. Most of the work for accuracy was done with the consultant of General Bradley, who was still alive and the last surviving five-star general after Eisenhower died. But the Pentagon also refused. They wanted help from them. Patton's son... And his Patton's son was in the army, 
and his second daughter was married to an officer and so the pentagon didn't want their father portrayed but eventually they got uh roped in too so that's interesting it feels like it's the same kind of dedication that like scorsese has when making a film and it also has the same kind of you know don't shy away from showing the bad parts that his movies do but without the same scope almost like this feels like it was too small almost for like if this was a scorsese movie it would be too small which is weird well and it's a defense i you know you're talking about one subject yeah one guy world war ii third army uh, not even that army wasn't organized until normandy yeah the I uh, movie was shot in six different countries, mostly Spain, because that's where they had the old World War Two crap. The World War Two what crap? Oh, you mean just leftovers? Yep. Oh, that's where the surviving functioning stuff was. I oh. uh, they filmed I uh, the early scene where they're reviewing the troops. Was in Rabat, which is in Morocco, which is the capital of yep. Morocco. Yep. They unannounced shot a battle scene the day before they were going to shoot their parade scene, and uh, the palace thought a coup was happening. Oh dear! Oops! Unannounced. <laughs> this, this is why you communicate well, children. <laughs> the opening is also very interesting here because one, they toned down the actual words. For instance, they used the word fornicating because they mm-hmm. didn't want the movie to be rated R. Mm-hmm. Huh. He used a different word that starts with F. Mm-hmm. Also, Scott's gravelly and scratchy voice is the opposite of Patton's high-pitched, nasal, and somewhat squeaky voice. I did not know that. remember hearing Patton's voice. Yeah, well, recording. historians apparently noted it. When Scott learned the speech would open the film, he refused to do it as he believed it would overshadow the rest of his performance. The director said, no, it'll be at the end. Liar. And then later, their film editor got an award for putting it at the beginning, I guess. <laughs> so good job for did them. The Schaffner guy, did he, do you say you, he directed anything else but this? Uh, Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. That's, That's right. definitely one that people mm-hmm. would know. Well, was that it? Well, he's done a few more. Oh, okay. Some other yeah. stuff, right. yeah. Okay. Uh, Patton also was not a four-star general at the time of his actual big speech, though he had four stars on his head. Oh, okay. He also only ever wore all of his medals once, and it definitely wasn't during this speech. Hmm. Hmm. He did it in his backyard because his wife wanted a picture. Uh-huh. The music. Grandpa can speak a bit to accuracy of uh, bugle calls in this film. Uh, yeah, to an extent. Um, I'm not, I, the more I thought about it, I'm not sure. That was either to the colors. Uh, wasn't Reveille, it wasn't yeah, Reveille. It wasn't yeah. Reveille. Well, it definitely wasn't Reveille. I know that one. Yeah. Well, it was to the colors then. Yeah. Now this. Which, excuse me. That's yeah. used as you raise the flag and mm. lower the flag, like at dawn and dusk and such other functions. Were. Gotcha. The uh, direct the fil- the songwriter who was nominated for best original score. Jerry Goldsmith, who we have not yet talked about. I've... I double-checked, and there's a good reason we should talk about him. I'm going to start giving you a short list 
five Star Trek movies, three Rambo movies, Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Chinatown, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Hoosiers, Total Recall, Air Force One, L.A. Confidential, Mulan, and The Mummy. That's just a short list. <laughs> That's the short list. Wow. He's responsible for Star Trek the motion picture and the iconic like Star Trek song. In May 1997, with the release of The Lost World, Jurassic Park, he got more popular because he wrote the Universal Studios opening fanfare. Huh. Huh. He did a lot of work. He's done a lot of stuff. Wow. Nominated for six Grammys, five primetime Emmys, nine Golden Globes, four BAFTAs, 18 Academy Awards, only winning once for The Omen. He also composed the Paramount Pictures fanfare used from 76 to 2011. Huh. Well, okay. And the music was pretty good. Well, I've heard about the music. Yeah. The music here was a composite of themes from all over the place. Oh, yeah. As I understand. There's some Brahms in there. Some uh, one that surprised me about that ta-da-da-da-da-da-da-da mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Uh, that's That has evidently been seen and heard in other places. And I don't ever remember until this thing came along. Hearing it, but since then I have, but I can't identify it. In this film, that particular those triplets were used with an echoplex loop recording, which is a tape delay echo. Yeah. Old school. Yep. Played on the trumpet to musically represent Patton's belief in reincarnation. Mm -hmm. That's apparently why I was there. It was interesting at the beginning, in particular, mm -hmm. when it there was there was two very conflicting musical themes going on right near the beginning when they were you were they were going through the battle the battlefield from yeah. the, from the previous day's battle whatever mm -hmm. it was then you had a a rather traditional sounding i mean i can't i can't put it in my brain exactly but it's kind of a traditional sounding piece of music with the you know band music if you will and then that that kind of quirky triplet. Uh, triplet thing in the background yeah that was kind of popping in and out. It had this sort of melancholy feel to it. Then, it did it for did. the whole for the whole movie. It did. It was not triumphal music no. in any sense no. of the word. So, how do we feel about the movie as a whole? Anybody who's got some thoughts on the film before we get into specifics? Well, I'll tell you how popular it is with me. It, if you're interested, it is the identifying movie in as for one of my uh, passwords. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, now we can get into all of Grandpa's stuff. <laughs> well, you can't because because I no longer deal with the computer. Oh, oh well, never uh, mind. No, I've got the passwords now, and it no, has nothing to do with this film. All right. <laughs> well, you snooze, you lose, everyone. An interesting representation of the certainly of the World War Two. Well, be very focused on Patton, obviously. Yeah. But, but how it sort of injected his life and circumstances into all these little pieces of, and big pieces. Yeah. Of how the war migrated around to different geographic locations and different events. And, it, and I thought it was interesting how they did that, but they didn't spend a lot of time on the on the balance of the explanation of here's what was going on in the war. Yeah. I mean, they did really keep it focused on him and his involvement, which I thought was kind of an interesting scenario because 
it, of course, the movie would have been 10 hours long if they had gone deeper mm. into some of that yeah. stuff. But. but there were some parts where you definitely had to know what was going on. Like, the part of the end where he's on his horse, they don't explain why, you know, what's going on there. You don't know that that was the time when he was the military governor of Bavaria. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless you know your history. Right. And why it's weird that he was keeping Nazis in power. Mm-hmm. Which is true. He was doing that. Because yep. they knew how to run things, that's and right, you're not right. going to waste, you know, smart people just because they think differently than you. That's I mean, he exactly worked with Bradley, right. and you didn't think well, the same as him for a long time. Besides which, these were ex-Nazis, and they had to take an oath to not know, Nazi anymore. Not be a Nazi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, the, that's for, for selling newspapers. That doesn't get in there. Yeah. I think as, I mean, overall, my recollection is I saw a screening of this movie when it came out dad took us kids i'm assuming it was all three of us kids to the drive-in theater there was a children's film first i don't remember but i do mm-hmm. remember watching that opening um speech with that huge flag at a drive-in theater i mean that's ginormous people yeah and you know, I being an eleven-year-old, I thought that his language was shocking. It was, yeah. And, but I didn't was not able to stay awake through the whole second film. That opening scene is definitely one of the most memorable scenes from any movie, almost. Yeah, I'd say with that massive flag and him doing his speech, where. Once you've seen it, you you remember that scene. You may not have the whole speech memorized or anything, but that scene definitely stands out as a very memorable one. Iconic. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that there are times when, uh, I mean, he just is such an ass. Something that... that and I think then that's perhaps what makes it an interesting film because we do see his character change somewhat he's still i think an ass all the way through but i think there is some change in his in in the way he approaches people yeah um can i add a yeah good thing i was disappointed in only one aspect and that is there was nothing not a word about his life before the army do you know what he did before the army well i know several things he did for one thing he got married okay yeah her her name was b and I know that at one time uh, uh, during this, and this relates to his telling about the uniform that he des- designed for tank people, mm-hmm. the golden helmet and all that crap. Well, this is, this is what he did because he was dissatisfied with what came out of the Pentagon. And he did this with, with real thought. The helmet was designed to specifically protect that person, not a bunch of other soldiers or airmen or anybody else. The uniform was to be flameproof because he railed about the gasoline engines. Yeah, he did. And he warned them that this was a mistake. And it was. It should have been diesels for several reasons. Not a, explosion, of course, was bad enough. But other things. Another thing about him and his early... Oh, and I say about B. No. He also had got his nose into some development of some sort of a track mechanism to uh, to would, would be more easily controllable or controls for these monster machines, and he had this thing at some uh, army exposition deal with a bunch of officers around observing it, and he couldn't get any of them to try it. So he said, "Come on, B, you drive it." So she did. I mean, uh, you know, to show them how easily this thing was 
was to control. Uh, the guy was nuts when it came to that. Uh, I shouldn't say nuts. It was kind of a kind of a phenomenon. Um, didn't say anything about his athletic ability. He was a pentathlon uh, contender mm-hmm. in one of the. Uh, 1912. Was it 19? Was it that late? Yeah. I thought it was 1980. No, I thought yeah. it was maybe 1980. Okay, because he was in the class of what, 16? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. That would be about right. Yeah. I mean, he could. He, those things could have been, bing, 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 uh, given us a little insight into the man's character. Uh, but I'm yeah, not complaining. I mean, it's already I mean, a three-hour movie. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not yeah, complaining. that's true. No, I'm not complaining. Yeah. Something that I'd be interested in now with the kind of the benefit of hindsight and having other movies to compare this to is to look at movies like Jarhead or The Hurt Locker. Movies where you see people in the army who seem to like the we kill the enemy and that's our job part of the army. Mm -hmm. And those movies also sometimes start to explore life after it. He really didn't have a life after the army. Both because it's possible he wouldn't, I mean, Rommel said it in this film, you know, he's defeated, you know, the lack of war is going to defeat him. And he also had an accident and died shortly thereafter. He died in 45. Well, I think we should talk about that. And I also want to bring up one more thing that had nothing to do with the army. Well, it did. And that is his boat. He was a wealthy man. His family was a wealthy family. He owned a sailboat and it was just sold in recent years. And I was surprised at how large it really was. And its name was the when and if. There was no when and if. What else was I going to say? So, December 8th, 1945. He was invited on a hunting trip. Okay, go ahead. And apparently, according to this, Patton observed derelict cars on the side of the road and said, how awful war is, think of the waste. And then they hit an army truck. And he bonked his head on the glass partition on the back seat. And was severely injured. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first and time that's the first time of I've ever the heard results that. of that. Yeah. I have heard other explanations of the of the place and the circumstances and it doesn't involve uh, army trucks alongside the road. It's it was uh, happened in a city and that was the first here again, can I get personal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the first example of a uh, of conflicting information that made me wonder what in the hell is going on and put me on the track of being a erstwhile what's the word for a guy that doesn't believe in the media uh, skeptic no I didn't believe that Kennedy was assassinated by one guy I, I, conspiracy theorist conspiracy theorist all right yeah. of course at age twelve mm-hmm. well no it didn't come up until later on here when. Mm. Uh, when some of these stories are conflicting stories about his, his management, it just didn't make any sense to me hmm. how General Patton could get killed in such mundane circumstances. He uh, he agreed with you. What? <laughs> he agreed with you. Who does? Patton. Patton, who had been told he had no chance to ever again ride a horse or resume normal life, at one point commented, this is a hell of a way to die. Yeah. He agreed with you that this is not how he expected <laughs> to go. Yeah. Well, I well okay, but I didn't agree with the setup. Yeah. I, I, I to me, the Russians did it, and that's that. And, I mean, well, based on his comments, I'm not sure that that's you know, too far fetched. Yet, yet. Of yeah. course. I don't believe them. So. Uh, interestingly, he's buried in Luxembourg. Yes, he is. Along with some wartime casualties of the Third Army, in accordance with his request to be buried with his men. That's right. And mm-hmm. his grave. He was with the men. Mm-hmm. 
and his grave had to be moved and cordoned off because everybody wanted to see General Patton's grave and they just simply couldn't keep up with the maintenance on it. Yeah. So they dug him up and put him in his own spot with a fence around. All right. <clears throat> Anybody have other things before we get into what we're talking about this time? Go for it. All right. Step one, film editing. Good job. They, yeah, what's they, wrong with this? They did a good job. <laughs> I... Not that I'm an expert in that field. Me neither. Maybe some of the battle scenes got a little bit long. Maybe. Yeah. Um, not for a guy like me, but I defer to you girls yeah. and you ladies. If, well, I also think know. this film came out in 1970. Movies we, were we, long in the 70s. But we, yeah. but that we were still in Vietnam at that time. We were. I don't know. It's it's, yeah. it's you know to, it's hard to put myself back in that place because I was a kid then. Yeah. But anyway, I could definitely see someone who was pro the war in Vietnam making decisions in this movie to try and get people excited about the capabilities of America during war. But you have to remember that the Vietnam War wasn't called a war and the soldiers that were being drafted were not... I mean, they they lacked military benefits when they came home and they were spit yeah, on when they came home. You and, don't tell... You don't... Right. This movie doesn't say, see, look, war is cool, go fight in a war. Yeah. It's the... Mm-hmm. you know, But yeah. it's still the subliminal messaging. Also, this guy took a long time to make it. He probably would have made it whatever year he finished it. Right, yeah, because they'd been working on it for yeah. a decade yeah. and a half. There wasn't anything that was particularly like clever about the film editing, but there were a lot of different shots. The guys getting you know the explosion footage just right, mm-hmm. not getting mm-hmm. things blown out, that, that part of it is probably coming into it. Best song is on here. This movie didn't have a song. Theme no. songs don't count. No. The score was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll give it that. Yeah. Sound recording. I liked, I, I mentioned when the guys fell in the mud and that went bloop. Yeah. The explosions, also good. Those were yeah. probably, those, I don't know if those were recorded on site or fully did later. I think you could, could have gotten an award for sound recording. They did? There oh. you go. <laughs> well, that is why. Then the mud ploop was, was the right kind. Yeah. Mud plooping. And best screenplay. In this one, the category would have been, because there's always... There's generally two screenplay categories. Mm-hmm. There, this year was screenplay based on material from another medium, which this did not qualify for. That was things based on novels or plays. And there was best story and screenplay based on factual material or material not previously published or produced. Wow. Which is a mouthful. And it won for that? It did. Wow. Because I do think, looking at it, I, mean, mm-hmm. I think that the screenplay was well written. I think the organization of characters and the words chosen were very good. Oh, yeah. After all, my password. Yeah. (laughs) Former password. Interestingly enough, the movie for best screenplay based on material from another medium, MASH. Mm -hmm. The MASH Another war movie. Yeah. Yeah. And Tora, Tora, Tora that year. There might be something to my theory about, hey, maybe we should get people excited about a war. I thought it was interesting that the orchestrator for the music you were talking about the music uh, 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 composer, but the orchestrator did Toro Toro Toro. Oh, yeah. As well. Oh, yeah. Same year. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, he had four or five movies to his credit. I mean, th- this was another working musician, big yeah. time. Pretty interesting. I think if we're going to go for closing statements, this is, I think, one worth watching, but you definitely have to go into it with the expectation mm-hmm. that this is not... A necessarily a 
go America war movie. This is a go this guy war movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So it's a little different than you might be used to. When we were talking about Band of Brothers, this is not Band of Brothers. Right. This is not the struggle of a group to overcome. This is one guy. Right. And he's not necessarily in the trenches either. Not usually. Not usually. Nope. Well, at least not portrayed that way. Yeah. Anybody else have closing thoughts? I always like to find quirky things about people in the movie. What did you find? Corey Lofton. Okay. General Bradley's driver. Yeah. I think it's Carrie. Carrie. Sorry. Carrie. C-A-R-E-Y. Arguably Hollywood's greatest stunt driver ever. He did stunt driving for like a half century. I All over the place. I mean, you look at something like that and you just kind of go, wow. Where do they find somebody like that? You know, yeah. To drive Everybody in. Everybody knew him. Yes. Well, they yeah. when they put But it's always fun to find a call for quirky things like that. Yeah. Well, they definitely. There was one scene where there was an explosion, like on the car, and everyone had to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So they probably thought, okay, we need a guy who can drive into an explosion and not blink. Right. Pretty interesting. I mean, and his credits are all over the place. Yeah. Mm. No, there's TV and movies all over. And these, I think this was still before stuntmen had kind of the same protective rights that they do now. Right. Where And he didn't get credited most of the time. Yeah. Right. There's one guy, and I don't remember his name, and I'm going to look him up because the next... I'll look him up for sure the next time that we have a significant stunt movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a guy, and he did a Red Bull stunt where he got lit on fire and then jumped out of a building and fell 200 feet that just sounds without like a parachute onto a, a bag plan. yeah but this no. guy was all about driving yeah no you had to have you had to have your specialties interesting yeah. I, th- I think ashley had looked up a fact that this movie cost 12 million dollars mm-hmm. which in 1970 seems like a lot of money but you think about how these are all real people yeah the extras are not computer generated there was more than one tank that exploded the, right this was you know, and you said they filmed in six different countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a big. There was a note that a lot of the budget was on Spanish soldiers that they used for filming. Ah, sure. Yeah. So. Uh, one interesting thing to think about, and if we're and while we're not in the business of doing this, this movie versus Lawrence of Arabia. If we're going to discuss one man's quest to be good at fighting in Africa, okay, <laughs> okay. Which one is a better movie? If we had to give it a, if we had to give a ranking, or they were really different, I th- very different. I st- I think Lawrence of Arabia is better, possibly just due to the fact that while it is about one guy, the supporting cast around him is better. Whereas this movie, the supporting cast around Patton was kind of there, right? It was all and, about and, and it was intentional that way, mm-hmm. but. I, I maybe that's just the way I look at movies. I want. But I also think cast. Lawrence of Arabia had more of a storyline, where this was this was about this was, this was snapshots of Patton's life, mm-hmm. not the story of Patton's life. Well, and I think to a certain degree, with the supporting characters though too in Patton's life, it seems like they were playing the political game to a certain degree too. And he, yeah, he was doing. He was. He definitely didn't his care. Own route and his yeah. own game, and he didn't want to play the political games. Yeah, yeah, definitely different movies and. Yeah, Why, yeah. We are not in the game of rating movies, so That's I suppose it's okay that we do not do that. It's okay, but I have heard nothing that would make me change my mind. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> right, fair enough. All right, I think that brings us to the end. Then we want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. Okay, bye. Bye.